Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to another episode of the Well.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington, and today I'm sitting down with Seven Bailey. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, just living the dream. <laughs> so you're out in California, and you said it's That's very correct. hot. It is. It's like 90 today, which is wonderful. Being that I've been in Minnesota for the past, you know, 11 years, uh, it's it's very glorious right now. It's snowing in Minnesota, and I'm in shorts. <laughs> Do you miss the seasons? Uh, no, I, I don't even care. Yep. <laughs> I, people could sit there and say, oh, the seasons, they're beautiful and whatever. I will take good weather all year round any day. Yeah. Well, and the bugs out there aren't bad either. That was the main thing I learned out there was that it's summer all the time and the bugs aren't crazy. They really aren't. So I'm into it. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a cool spot to be. Tell us a little bit about how did you get into welding? Well, how I always say that I got into welding is flash dance. Um, as a as a small child, watching it on Laserdisc, I was intrigued by it. I didn't know what it was, but it looked cool. And it always kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And when I was a high school student, I had the opportunity, you know, uh, growing up in the Midwest, high schools are a little different. They've got opportunities like, you know, automotive and agriculture, wood shop, and then, of course, there was metal. And I took all of those things, and the moment I walked through that metal shop, I think the smell hit me first, that very distinct smell of a metal shop. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but this is exciting, and I want it. And I just kind of solidified my, my, my love for it. The moment I was able to uh, start welding... That was it. I was like, this is this is my jam. I'm into it. Um, and so, yeah, that's really how I got started was real in high school. What was the first process you did? Uh, OxyFuel. Really? We had an OxyFuel, a cube, which was not easy, by the way. I um, you know, I think it was, I would say that it was probably 10 gauge. And yeah, it was stick, make, make this cube and, and weld that. And I, I handled that just fine. And I wasn't really into the other project was making a pen, a mechanical pen. Actually it was a mechanical pencil on the lathe. And a buddy of mine was in the class and he was really into the lathe. He could not figure out oxy fuel welding to save his life. And so we had an agreement. I would hook him up. On the cube welding side, he would hook me up on the lathe side, and together we would get what we want out of the situation. You had your first shop ready to roll. That's right. The OxyFuel, a lot of people, I, I know a lot of colleges and courses these days, they don't really touch on it at all, like the welding aspect. that It's all about cutting. But yeah. there's a lot of beauty in it, and I think it's a lost lost art coming up. It, it is a lost art. You know, I... I taught at Dunwoody College of Technology for six, almost six and a half years. And when I got in there, they still had oxy fuel stations, but they weren't being used. 
And that blew my mind because I, I thought there's so much opportunity to, to really showcase creating a weld pool and honoring that pool and, and right. Like just, just that it's a slowed down process and it really allows for people to just completely engage in building your pool. And I think that was really important to me. And so it was something that I implemented into uh, the curriculum. And I, I don't regret it. It is lost art. I think it is very important. Um, and being able to control a puddle, that's every process that we do. We have to learn how to control a puddle, right? Yeah. And so this is, this is I think, uh, ground zero for me in my mind. Um, and I, I truly believe that those skills that were shared with those students really helped carry them with, with manipulating a pool and a puddle and, and watching the metal coalesce, like truly watching it, you know, that's so beautiful to me. Um, so I, I hope people continue to, to share oxy fuel and see the beauty in it. And of course, I mean, obviously we use oxy, oxy fuel for cutting and whatnot, but but there's so much yeah. more. There's so much. There's so more. much more. The beauty of oxyfuel, like, mm, and you like, don't need an outlet, you know. You really don't. Yeah. You don't. Uh, so, okay, you are on a show called Metal Shop Masters. Right. How did you get on the show? I to this day I don't really know because I don't I don't have a crazy social media following. Um, you know, it's like a couple thousand people, right? Um, at the time and. I'm just doing my own thing. You know, I've been working on sculptures throughout, throughout the country and just minding my own business. And I get a phone call one day and it's a producer asking, you know, would I be interested in, you know, auditioning or going through the process of maybe being on this show? And I didn't think it was serious. And I think that some of the other contestants felt the same way. You know, you get this cold call from somebody and they're asking you to, to be on Netflix and you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Right, this is a whatever. Weird scam call. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of brushed it off. Didn't take it too seriously. And then she had contacted me again and started kind of explaining it a little bit more to me. And then I, you know, I entertained it, you know, I was like, okay. And we went through, you know, a couple of rounds of, you know, interviewing like who I am and what I'm about and what I do. And if, if it's going to be a good fit for the show and asked me if I, you know, wanted to, to be on the show. And I told her, no, I told her, no, <laughs> no, can't afford I me. <laughs> I told her. Yeah. Right. I told her no, because I really wasn't interested in it in, in a competition. Mm -hmm. um, I can be a competitive person, but I find that art isn't something that is a competition. And I felt kind of strongly about that. And I sat with it and I told her my feels about it. And she's like, you know, just think about it before you really say no. And I had a really cool conversation with my wife and a good friend. I was up at my family's cabin and I got the call from the producers that like, seriously, we want you. So are you in? And they were like, dude, you're dumb. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> come on, this is a huge exposure. What's <laughs> yeah, a lifetime yeah, opportunity? you don't know what's going to come out of this experience. Why would you pass that up? And then also for me, like, why would you pass up an opportunity 
I am big into education and I'm really big in promoting this industry. That is like, I love it. It's my life's purpose. I really want to support other humans. And they were like, if you don't show up, how are other people like you going to know they can do those things? And I was like, damn. All right. You're right. Playing hard. Yep. Yep. They really got me. They tag teamed me and I, I did it. That's so funny. I, I come from a acting background. That's what my yeah. college degree was. And so I understand just the process of, of auditioning, callbacks. It, it's a long process. But to just say no right after you've been offered it is so funny. It's a big power <laughs> move, and I really respect it. Uh, well, here it is. They still got me in the end. Yeah, yeah. And the... One thing I think about with shows like that and Forged and Fire, it's there's this huge time crunch. And yep. I feel like the competition aspect is that kind of drama they need for TV. But mm-hmm. you, and I, I always want to just let people have so much longer to do. Like you watch the Lego show, they get like 12, 18 hours to build these things. And then on, yeah. on all these metalworking shows where it's a very difficult process to do fast and they're like you get three hours you get eight hours and Mm -hmm. just like okay cool i'll see what i can do and yeah i think they don't understand um the industry well enough i mean it's so great to see that there's you know push for mainstream to kind of to dive into what we do but they they legit have no idea and so you're right. Like, it's weird to say, well, here, you've got, you know, you've got 10 hours. Create a masterpiece. And be safe. And be safe. <laughs> that's that's what I always laugh about on these shows. Safety is really, really important in welding and metalworking because there's a lot of dangerous things you're working with. And yep. if you're trying to push people to be as fast as they possibly can be, there's a lot of room for error that could be a big problem in in the end so it's it's one one safety side of me just always cringes when i see shows because i'm like there's so many violations here in like the osha world but you know what we're just gonna roll with it and i i'm gonna just separate and watch some entertainment instead of be critical we have similar brain i'm always whatever i'm doing i'm always thinking about uh what osha world yeah. would what would osha do right yeah and i'm I'm always stressed about that you know making sure that things are safe i don't want to hurt myself but more importantly i would don't want to hurt others exactly that one of my first i worked in a fabrication shop when i first got into well i was in school and working at this fabrication shop at the same time and it was the most dangerous place i've ever been i i was not not safe. The electricity was wild. The guy did not really focus that much on safety. So I I got out of there pretty quick. But I feel like that is a big thing. Educators push hard these days. And students don't necessarily see how important the safety aspect is. So maybe we yeah. can teach the people in the TV world that, you know, safety Let's just make a whole show about safety. Who who could be the safest welder? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I think that's you, you hit on it. I think it's really important for those of us that are visible and and doing this kind of work that we are representing safety yeah. and and care for our own lives, but others. And I think that's really really important. I mean, honestly, that 
transcends just the welding world. We should just be caring about others as yeah. well, not just ourselves. Exactly. To be nice and care about other people and watch out for people, it's way easier. There's less resistance. So personal question. I have the same hood, the Sentinel, Aesop yeah. Sentinel hood. Did you get to keep the hood from the show? We got them back, yes, finally. Um, as they were consolidating equipment from the show, we we got a call from the shop producer, and he was like, hey, y'all want your helmets? And I was like, yeah. yeah. That was like, that was, I was crushed when I thought I wasn't going to keep that helmet. And uh, he sent them to us, which was freaking awesome. That's super and, cool. Um, and very thoughtful. But yeah, I love that helmet. Uh, not only do I love that helmet just because it's the helmet from the show, but that would be my fourth Sentinel helmet. Three of them that are still operating. Oh, nice. um, I love that helmet. I love the Sentinel helmet. It's one of I my favorites. Think, I got. I it, just wanted to be a space a space person. Yeah, yeah. You look like a like. You seriously look like an astronaut or a super biker. You know, for me, I, I grew up with Miller Elite, and I was just like ride or die Miller Elite helmets, and they're great, and I love them. Uh, but the moment I got that thing, I was in love. That's awesome. I'm really happy you got to keep it. Yeah, me too. So how long have you been in welding? How many years? I'm counting now. Uh, 20. 20. And 20 years. So you do these sculptures all across the, mm -hmm. the nation. Have, have you done international work too? Not yet. Okay. So when you get these jobs throughout the nation, for people that are just getting up and rolling, they want to get in the art world, how do you go about getting your name out there to start doing commissioned work? Yeah. Uh, networking. I know it sounds silly and so many people say that net saying networking is an overused term, but at the end of the day, our industry very much is the same industry where you go into your weld supplier and you bump fish, shake hands, you know, shoot the crap with whoever and start engaging with folks. I mean, that's really, really important because people remember that kind of stuff. I legitimately just met a uh, a guy who has a a fab shop four blocks from uh, the place where I'm working right now, and you know he is 35 years in the business. He's getting close to retiring. The 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 building's selling. He's got all of this amazing equipment, and I'm like, hi, <laughs> where right? But, you know, and I just happened to know that he was over there. I didn't need him to do what I needed him to do, but I went over there just to engage because you never know who has, you know, a skill set that you might not have or, you know, a network or a connection or expertise or whatever it is. And so you always want to make sure that you're actively engaging with those around you and those in the community around you. And, you know, the great thing is, is, of course, we it's different. Like back in the day, you know, I can sit here and say after 20 years, like back in the day, we didn't just have, you know, weld.com or, you know, YouTube wasn't what it was. And, you know, the internet wasn't even what it was. Yeah. And so in social media, I mean, we just started having Facebook maybe. And then was MySpace. I mean, like the reality is we didn't have what we have now. And those things still matter. They matter to people because, Making a personal connection with people is what's really, truly the driving force. 
And I believe that for me, because I am older, even if I don't look quite my age, I shy away from social media. I, it's not my to go to. I don't think about what I'm going to post every single day. I don't have to check in every single day. That's not my realm. I realize, though, that it has to be part of my realm to move forward. My realm is how I connect with people. And so, you know, doing a job or doing a sculpture and working on site with different contractors and different artists and different people and having that relationship and building that, that's what sticks with people. And so the next they're at a dinner party with somebody and somebody says, you know, I'm thinking, you know, there's this, you know, sculpture that we're thinking about, you know, creating in the center of the city for X, Y, and Z, you know, I don't even know where you find metal fabricators. Hey, I'm and guess what happens? <laughs> exactly. And guess what happens? They remember me and they remember they had a great experience with me because I respected them. I cared about their process and I could deliver what it was that they were asking for. Even if I didn't know how I was going to get there, I was going to make sure that I gave that to them. And that is how even people from Atlanta and Montgomery and like legit, that's how they find me. It is because somebody has worked with me and they remember that. So moving forward, thinking about the advice, you know, don't just put all your stuff out on the internet because there are plenty of people that post all of their stuff on the internet. And there are plenty of talented, amazing fabricators, far superior than anything that I could ever do or imagine. But what's going to set you apart is going to be how you treat people. I feel that real life connection too is social media. It is a great conversation starter, so to say, but if you're there in person and you learn about someone's life and personality needs, it's a huge thing in sales where, so I've sold music equipment for a long time and it's, they come with a problem and you give them the solution. And with someone that wants a creative thing made out of metal, you have to give them the best solution out there. And it's all problem solving. And that's what fabrication is too, is just problem solving and creativity and networking is very, very similar is it's, you just got to figure out what's this person's problem and how can I help them? And that's correct. Uh, it, that's really good advice for people trying to get it. Cause I was, that was a big question. I was wondering like, how do you go about getting your art all over the place? Yeah. You know? But mm-hmm. networking is huge. What's your least favorite process? Mm. Gosh. Like you wake up in the morning. So it says, Hey, we're doing this all day. Can you make it? Which one makes you say no? I don't have one. That's a good answer. But I, I'm not joking. I'm not even like, I'm not even making it up. Like you tell me I'm welding today and I'm happy about it. I see the beauty and joy. I mean, the main processes that I do, TIG, MIG, flux core, stick, like the, those are, you know, the, the big baddies. I mean, it is what it is. And I, and I love them all for different reasons. I'm like in love with all of them for different reasons. And I can find the beauty in it. I can find the frustration in them. I can find the joy in them. I can find the constant challenge in them. I, it doesn't matter how good I think I am at something. I am always looking to improve. And I love that about it. So I, I couldn't sit there and say that one 
is the the one that I like least. Like which which process do you fight more than the rest of them? I don't want to sound like an a hole, but like honestly, I'm pretty even keel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's I mean, really cool. Doing it, doing it for twenty years, and then having to teach it. Yeah. You know, uh, for six, the reality is, day after day after day, I have to show good examples. Yeah. Of, of these processes to these students, so they can, you know emulate and work and ask questions and if i'm having a, a a troubled moment or you know a difficult time doing something doesn't happen often when i'm doing demos but like every once in a while we all have days where we're just like man like i can't get everybody this going has, today. yeah everybody has a bad well day you know yeah. and those are the best days because then you get to problem solve them and and explain them while you're teaching and if you're not teaching you're you're kind of putting that in the Rolodex of your brain. Like what are the things that are happening with me today that I am not able to produce the kind of weld that I know I'm capable of? Yeah. I think that the days where you have troubles, especially as an educator, those are going to be more valuable to your students to see. Cause when you're a student, you're messing up all the time and you don't Absolutely. know why. And so yep. if you could see someone see it in real time, see it, what is going wrong and then be told how to correct that. That's huge. Yep. So another thing I saw on the show is that you like to, uh, source your materials you buy by weight. So, uh, do you go to scrap yards or steel yards or just kind of anywhere? It depends. So if you're going full on scrap, I mean, you can buy by weight and I only, I do that more when I'm working with uh, my my work wife. I call her my work wife. Um, when we do it, because we're very into making sure that, like, let's be real about this industry. It's not that great for the environment in general. So when we can reclaim stuff to create, that feels good. And so when I have the opportunity to be able to do that, that feels good. That doesn't mean that what I do is 24-7, you know, reclaiming stuff. Just because, yeah, most of the big projects that I do are not. They're brand new processed goods. Yeah. Um, but when I have a choice, I, I want to I wanna honor that. I do a lot of the reclaimed as well. There's a, a, a big DH Griffin. They were actually the demolition crew that took down the twin towers after everything happened. Uh, okay. But they, so they're just like this huge demolition scrapping company. And I go there on the weekly and just every time I go, there's something new to work with. I just think it's really cool seeing how everybody has a different creative mind when you see bits and pieces of metal that used to be something else. Yeah. And just the creativity that it takes to kind of put them all together like a collage, you know? That's that's like, you know, it's it's very much the same as when we put together a puzzle, right? There's all these pieces and you're going to you're going to figure out how they're all going to fit together and that's good stuff. It's good for the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Problem solving. It, it, it. I feel like there's a big stigma in the world against welders just being like, oh, it's just a welder. But welders are super smart, super creative. You have to be to understand how to make your dream come true for whatever it is you want us to build. Yeah, absolutely. 
What are some of the biggest frustrations you've run into with clients as a welder? Hmm. Biggest frustration. Trying to think about that. Uh, like an example, like me, something I run into, I work with a lot of bars and restaurants and they want sure. just stuff made to fit into a pocket that it, it's simple. It shouldn't take you too long. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like that's something that frustrates me, but I just go, okay, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. <laughs> We're going to do it. Um, tend not to, <laughs> once again, I don't want to sound ridiculous, but I, I tend not to get frustrated with people, um, with clients. And also I try not to get frustrated with people in general. Um, why I do this because it doesn't put me in the kind of mental space that I need to be in to do what we just talked about, right? To do a good job, trying to make sure the customer has what they need in this, you know, in this situation. Um, I would say if there was anything that was close to frustration, it would be too vague. Like when a customer is too vague, then that's, that's kind of a green light to just, you know, move on and do what you need to do. The problem with that is it might not be what they want. And so I'm very clear, especially when artists come to me and they are like, I want to design a, a metal sculpture. And I was like, great. And, and, you know, and I want you to build it. I'm like, cool, we can do that. I am literally holding their hand through that process with them because I want to make sure that I'm honoring what it is that they want. You know, you're bringing that thing to fruition. And so a lot of times it's then, you know, when you're thinking about your sculpture, I have a concept, right? They'll say, I have a concept. This is where I'm going. I'm like, cool. When you're thinking about that concept, what kind of lines are there? Are they straight lines? Are there curvatures? Are we talking about light? Is it natural light coming through it? Is it, you know, is it LEDs happening? You know, when we're talking about materials, this material is going to do that. This material is going to do this. Do you, you know, and you just kind of keep going on and on and kind of pulling that out. So you can get as much of a blueprint, right? Because a lot of times they definitely don't have blueprints um, or there's half of a blueprint. And so you have to kind of make that blueprint for yourself. That is something that I learned early on because, you will get frustrated if you don't do that for yourself. You need to be responsible for making your blueprint. You can't put that on the customer because they don't have the tools. That's why they've contacted you to help them. So when you do blueprints, are you talking like you're doing a full CNC or an AutoCAD draft? Or are you just saying more a parts well, list? Both. What I'm talking about, usually when I'm, when I'm talking about a print, I'm talking about an actual print. Um you know, uh, parts list, you know, a bomb is something completely different. You know, they could say, yeah, this is what I want. You know, that's essentially a bomb. All these things make this thing. That's great. Um, but I would say other than Nimbus, most of the, the sculptures that I've done and had to work on, there's, there's, there's definitely had to have been some sort of revision, or I would say this can't work because X, Y, and Z. So you're going to have to go back to this engineer and then, you know, I'll drop something. I'll say, this is what we need, you know, and, and push it forward that way. How long does it take you to usually do blueprinting? Uh, me physically? It's very time consuming. I don't think that people understand the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into blueprinting. So it's a lot. It's a lot. I haven't, I haven't had to 
do like a very thorough one in a while. You know, I, I can, if I'm the one that's responsible for fabricating it, I can cheat it. Right. Because you know, you, you know what you're going to do in this, but yeah, I mean, blueprints, I mean, it's a day to, you know, three weeks, you know, to two months depends. I mean, how involved is this project? And, you know, as you're creating a blueprint, you know, what kind of specs are needed? And, you know, going back and forth with engineering and, you know, all of that stuff is really, really important. I think people don't think about that, especially when they think about doing sculpture work. You know, there's a lot of codes, there's a lot of codes, and there's a lot of engineering related stuff that needs to be addressed. And I think that kind of goes to the wayside. I think a lot of times people think that, oh, I can just build this sculpture, it's no big deal. And like, there's so much like paperwork and you know people chasing and yeah it's very involved is there an i know like uh d11 uh <laughs> is there is there a specific sculpture code there isn't uh, there isn't a sculpture so typically when um when i do sculpture work it's 2d11 because it is structural right mm-hmm. um you know and it's really truly the most common common code. Um, and then depending if I'm, you know, doing something that's specific to aluminum or stainless, and then obviously I have to switch codes. Um, but I would say 90% of what I get into is D11, which I'm very familiar with. That's what I tested in to get my CWI. So like, you know, I know it and it's great. And a lot of times what happens is I catch things before, uh, the engineer or the artist and I'll be like, Hey, before we move forward, (laughs) This ain't gonna work. Yeah, you know, I'm like, before we go forward, you know, like I, I definitely want to address that this is what we're 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 going for, and we might want to honor a code. Yeah, yeah, if just you, to cover our butts. I mean, that's really truly what codes are for. Safety. Bring yeah, us, it's we're correct. right back to safety. That, this is it. This is what our whole conversation yeah. is about. Safety. safety. That's what it's always about. Yep. Uh, what was the biggest aha moment you had in w- your welding journey? Like you just kind of clicked and this was, you, you figured out, this is my vision. This is my style. Like just what was one moment you can think back on that just really changed you as a welder? I think honestly, it changed me as a welder and it changed me as a human. Was working on Nimbus uh, in 2018. I'm say it was 2018. You know, I'd done stuff in Minneapolis and that was, that was great. And, you know, well known there and that's, I loved it and that was fun. But having the opportunity to go down to Atlanta and fly back and forth, like I was there for the summer and then I flew back and forth because I was still teaching at the time and bringing, being able to bring down uh, recent graduates to work on this and to be able to work so closely with the, you know, the, the artist and architect, um, who is now my, he's like, he's my brother. He's one of my best friends. And to be able to see something so massive come together and to do it, like what we did was truly phenomenal. And I remember flying down there and Tristan at the time, you know, he didn't know me. He knew of me. See, this is networking. He knew of me. He was in Atlanta. He knew of me because he had done some work in Minneapolis. And so he had reached out to me and I, again, kind of didn't take it seriously. This is a reoccurring theme. 
Yeah, yes, people are offering taking things serious. People are offering me things, and I'm like, yeah, it's cool, it's cool. And so I, you know, I, I loosely said, well, this is how much I'm going to charge you. And I was, <laughs> I think I was intelligent at the time because I, I, I was like, I'm not going to give you a full lump sum. I'm going to charge you hourly, and it's going to cost. But I, I, I knew that whatever I was going to do was going to be wild and bigger than anything that I had done. And I was just like, yeah, if you think this is cool and I can bring a team down and whatever, like, let's do it. And I walked into that shop and I saw where he was going. And I said to myself, I don't know in my mind. I was like, I don't Can I do this? Oh, I would be foolish to say no. So I was like, yes, yes, I can. I'm going to do this. And me saying that and pushing myself to be able to build something so ginormous. I mean, it's so huge and so much welding, so much fabbing and, and being able to complete that and to bring young folks together to be able to work on something like that. Like that's, that's all I could ever ask for. Like, true, that was my moment. And for me, ever since then, anytime I have the opportunity to work on these big public works, my mission has always been to, to bring folks that might not have that opportunity, might not know that they, they, they can get into this industry like that. And, oh, man, I mean, if I would have been able to work on something like Nimbus when I was 20, I, I don't even know where I'd be, honestly. I didn't know that that was something that I could do as a welder or a fabricator in general. Well, and that kind of brings me along to a next point is, so in the future, how do you want to change the industry? I want to keep a couple of ways first. Um, I want to be able to keep doing um, big public works of art that I can get behind because I believe in the artist. I believe in the mission. Um, That's really, really important to me. I don't do these things to to make uh, endless amounts of money. I do it for the joy, the ride, the experience, the challenge. I mean, obviously, I'm not broke, but I don't do it to you know. My goal is not to be a millionaire. It it if it happens in life, that's great, but like that's not my jam. My my jam is to keep challenging myself. And the other side of that coin is my true feel and and calling in life. And I think that welding is kind of just uh, has been a medium for me to be able to do that is about supporting other people, supporting other people that might not know that they have the opportunities to to be able to do some of the things and to expose people to opportunity and to share that and to open doors. When I can open a door for somebody, I want to hold that thing open and let as many people through. That is definitely what i want and so you know in working with well.com like my my whole jam behind this is to hopefully bring a series to light where i am able to share different parts of the industry that people are not seeing and exposing different humans in this industry that they're they're not seeing these things. They're not seeing how amazing it is. They're not seeing that they can thrive in it because they don't see themselves in it. And I really, really want to make sure, and especially, I mean, it's, it's 2022. There's so much change in this world. And I want to make sure that I'm doing everything in my power to keep opening doors because, you know, as somebody who's been in it in 20 years, 
there was a, there were a lot of closed doors. Um, so that's really kind of my mission right now is to, to keep obviously having fun and, and creating and challenging myself. But if I can give back, that's really what I want to do. Uh, that's great. And especially just shining light on different parts of the industry. I feel like this is something I touch on a lot with people is that when you're first getting into it, if you're looking for a path in life, welding is an endless one. You know, there's yep. so many different directions you can go. And when you're new into it, the only thing you can think of is, oh, I got to learn how to pass this certification test so I can get a job and then learn what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. But I feel like if there was more people like you out there yep. showing the different paths that you can go that's not just like you're going to go work in a factory or you're going to go work in all these different plants like showing the art side showing the super technical side showing just fabrication i love fabrication i had no idea what it was until i got into welding like yeah i knew a welder just welded but i didn't know all the creativity <laughs> that came behind fabricating yeah the welder or the weld door. Yes. But like, <laughs> but like, you're right. And, uh, and also two of the, I want to expose the education side too. There are a lot of, um, really cool programs that are out there right now and not just the big schools and not just, you know, uh, the, the, the names that you know, but there are a lot of organizations and nonprofits trying to give to communities to expose them to this industry. And so I want to be able to share, share those things as well. I mean, you look at, you know, uh, women who welds a good example, you know, like that's in Detroit. If anybody's been to Detroit, you know what that's about. And so the fact that something that was, was created for women, marginalized beings, right. To be so successful and, and just, tried and true with their mission and what they're doing and really supporting the education and helping placing people where they want to be. Right. It isn't like we, we, you know, learn how to weld and then you're right. Like we have to go to the factory or we have to do this or that and just kind of like, uh, you know, that, and that's fine. Some people want that and that's totally cool. Right. But to be able to say, here's a platter, here's a platter of opportunity, pick one. Yeah. What's Pick your taste? Three. What do you want? Try them all. Yeah. yeah. There's plenty of space in all aspects of our industry right now for everyone. There's a huge percentage of people in the welding industry that are about to retire. That's and right. there's not a huge there's not a huge amount of people coming into it to keep Correct. up with it. So definitely in the future, you could do whatever you want. Like that yeah. is that's something that people say about most everything in life but definitely as a welder you could do yep. anything you want you have you just have to learn what's out there and yep. i'm an advocate for trying to show people that it's not just dirty dangerous getting in a hole and welding up a pipe yep. there's so much more out there and it's really cool to see people like you out doing these cool things but like the show is cool but just looking into your art on your Instagram, I was creeping. Sorry. I That's fine. It's fine. That's what it's there for, man. Well, and, It's public for a reason. Yeah. And you do a lot of hosting as well. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a musician, welder. I act. I bartend. Yeah. I, I have many hats I wear as well. But tell us a little bit about the entertainment side of your life. 
Yeah. Well, my my wife is a burlesque performer named Sweet Pea. She's a she's a I would say she's not a burlesque performer. She is a burlesque icon. She is a very accomplished burlesque performer, and she's she's international. I mean, she travels the world, and she's been doing it for some time now. Um, and we, I met her doing burlesque, and she said, "This is my life," you know, like, and if you can't get down with all of this stuff that I do all the time, you definitely don't want to date me. And I was like, "Do you?" you know, like, do you? And I never really thought that I would get more involved. You know, I would go to the shows and I would help out and that was great. And then I started teaching and I was, you know, speaking all day, right? You're speaking to people, you're engaging people all day long and you're, you know, going to different, uh, you know, high schools and, and conferences and trying to engage people. And so one day she asked me if I wanted to, to host you know, co-host a show with her just to like sunny and share it, you know? And I was like, Oh, I mean, sure. It's not my jam. That's what I told her. I was like, eh, it's not my really, I don't know, you know, whatever. And of course we got on stage and we have great chemistry. And so we had fun and she's like, Holy crap, you're fun. You're you're funny. You, you, you want to do this? And I said, sure. I love supporting. I love supporting burlesque. I love humans. I love engaging crowds. Um, kind of just feels so good. And so, yeah, I really, really enjoy it. I actually make sure that I fly home at least once a month to do some of my favorite events because it just, it's just something that fuels me. Um, and I really, I think that I need that too, because I, I do a lot of things that I'm purposely fueling other humans, but these few things also fuel me as well. You got to feel yourself. You got to do That's right. good to be passionate about things, but it's also good to do things that really are just going to fill your soul back up yeah and i was gonna say funny enough i'm filling my soul i've been working right now um every june we have a burlesque show that we produce in vegas um it's a whole burlesque weekend it's called the, the burlesque hall of fame and uh i produce friday night which is the legends and icons night and i get to curate this show and make sure all the things happen for like women that have been doing burlesque since the 50s that's awesome that's and up awesome. until you know up until now you know some current icons and stuff but it, like it is such the most magical like rewarding thing to be able to have this thing that brings people together and to be able to share stories and experiences and inspire one another and that's the same thing it's like whether it's burlesque or the welding world for me they they really do spark that same joy of of bringing folks together. It's all about people. All about, it is about people. people. That's awesome. I, I really am happy that I got to talk to you just because it's been an awesome conversation, but I'm a big people person. I like people. Yeah. I like, I I'm shy kind of, but if I start talking to somebody, I will talk for a while. Uh, but this has been, it's just really cool talking to somebody that you've seen on TV, not really knowing exactly your personality outside yeah. of the show. So I, I, I love your personality and I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, you know, I mean the show, I feel like the show didn't really 
capture my, my whole essence. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't capture my whole essence at all. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they have to edit. They have to fit a lot of things in a very short period of time, and I get that. But I'm also always grateful when people like yourself want to want to engage and talk because, like you said, I'm also I'm a people person. I love engaging with humans. I love conversation. I I feel like what's the point if we're all here together? Like, why are we not sharing stuff together? Yeah, we should grow together. That's right. Apart. That's right. I literally was just watching your episode again, just catching up on on stuff. Did you use silicone bronze on that? No. No, I thought the veins were silicone bronze. Uh, yeah, well, that was me tricking. You know, I used uh, some three hundred nine. Okay. So my yep, so mild steel three hundred nine. Everybody, this is something that I walked into my first day of teaching at Dunwoody. <clears throat> Took over for another instructor, and all of these students are bringing me their welds. Right, I'm looking at their welds, and I'm like, what the hell? What is, what is going on? Why are why are your welds why are you, what's happening? Your mild steel, why aren't you using mild steel? Like ER70S, like what what's up? Like why aren't you using ER70S? And they're like, oh well, you know, so and so likes the to use the 309 because yes, it's pretty. You're using stainless and yeah. you know, you're you're getting the coloring. And that just like blew my mind back in the day that first off, why are we telling them to do that? Because it's not <laughs> it's not ER70S. Yeah. Um, and I don't want them to be fooled that all of their welds are going to look like that, yeah. you know? But uh, for me, yeah, on the show, I, I, I just did that to, to, to get coloring, obviously, on that to, to make it pop. Yeah, I, was, I, I saw it. I was just like, man, is that silicone bronze? Cause it, I do take silicone bronze. That, see, I knew it was out there somewhere. <laughs> Oh yeah, I did I, I, marine industry. So uh, I work for a company here in the Bay Area, actually, that fabricate a lot of stuff for catamarans, yachts, all of that kind of stuff. And so a lot of silicon bronze and stainless and aluminum. That's cool. Once you start moving into different alloys, it's difficult, but it's a lot more exciting, in my own opinion. Just absolutely. I mean, mild steel it can be tricky from time to time, but <laughs> you start getting outside of that, you're on a ride. That's right. Well, I, I've had a wonderful chat with you. Are you going to start doing some videos with Weld.com? Yes, I've got, hopefully, I've got one scheduled here on Monday to shoot and then can get that sent off and that'll be coming up. And then uh, the following week, I'm going to start shooting for the series that I was talking about where I'm going to go around. And at first, I'm going to start within the Bay, the, the different um, organizations and shops here that I think are pretty neat, that need exposure, deserve exposure. And then I'm going to travel the country because I travel the country all the time anyways. So I figure as I'm supporting my wife in burlesque, I might as well pop in where I'm at and find out who's doing what, what's going on in that area. That's awesome. If you're in North Carolina, hit me up. Dude, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna hit you up. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really look forward to seeing that what comes from you in the future and really hope to meet you in person one day. It's gonna happen. Oh yeah. I, I feel it. I feel it in my I bones. Feel it. Me too, man. Well, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your night. Well, I guess afternoon there. Yeah, it's early <laughs> early evening. Yeah, you're right. Rest but of I your will. early evening. <laughs> Yeah, but no, seriously, thank you. This was awesome. I've had a wonderful time, and let's keep in touch. I've had a wonderful conversation, and I'll talk to you soon, okay? Hey, everyone. 
If you are looking to pick up a new machine, head on over to store.lincolnelectric.com and you can use one of our promo codes, weld.com10 for 10% off equipment or weld.com20 for 20% off gear, accessories, and these are going to be good for the rest of the year. Again, that's weld.com spelled out W-E-L-D-D-O-T. C-O-M, with 10 or 20 after, and you can snag some sweet new gear at a sweet new price. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington, and until next week, we'll see you out there.